week in science, we are going to be talking about 3D dinos. We're going to be talking about viruses on the International Space Station. We're going to be talking about very large science. Very large science indeed. Hadron colliders and telescopes. And finally, we're going to be talking about sexercise. Woo! <laughs> what a lineup. One, two, three, four. Isn't that what they do? That's exactly it. In exercise? Yes, that's what they do in exercise. Well, I guess you don't have to count. All right, so first like up, <laughs> first up, we're going to talk about 3D dinos. Mm, yeah. What? Yeah, so this is... Um, What's going on there? Uh, uh, this is a uh, group in um, some such town. Um, Drexel University? Uh, Drexel University, that's it. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. And um, they are... Um, building 3D bones, plastic bones, of dinosaurs mm -hmm. using 3D printers. And then they're going to put them together and make ro dinosaur skeleton robots. Well, that's awesome. For the museum. So basically they take scans of real fossils, yep. real bones. Yeah. And then they... Put it through the printer, 3D printer. And then they print out the plastic versions. Yeah, yeah. And then connect them all together and presumably put some robotics in there and then... Cool. Boom, some actuators. There's some stuff online that we can post. There's some videos of uh, sort of uh, triranosids running and things like that. So is this a silly, this may be a silly question, but how is this different to just using like a plaster of Paris model to make bones? I don't know. It just <laughs> sounds cooler. I have no idea. It's 3D printers. It's the, 3D, new, it's the, the new fashionable <laughs> fashionable thing. It's the new plaster of Paris. Maybe you can't roboticize plaster of Paris It as does well. shatter quite easily. Yeah. I know, because once I made... A, um, I've made some plaster of Paris casts in my time. Yeah, well, yeah, experienced. And they shatter. What kind of parts? Legs, arms. Uh, just sort of like little volcanoes, that kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. drop them. No. And then you put it in the middle of them. So you make a plaster of Paris volcano, mm. and then you put a mixture of vinegar and baking soda and red food dye inside the thing, and then it's a volcano. Whoa! Science. That's really cool. That's a freebie. How does the chemistry work for that, Christine? Uh, just vinegars plus um, baking sodas. Yeah. If you're going to do it right down a, an equation, it would be vinegars plus baking sodas equals, equals volcano. volcano lava. Lava, yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. I think it's something to do with gas. And acid, maybe. Acid, that would be the vinegar, I suppose. Yeah. And then the alkaline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't Hashtag know. Hashtag science. Hashtag science. Um, yeah, so you don't I, know? No. All oh, right. No, I, I, chemistry is is not a strong suit. Okay, yeah. we'll we'll come back to that. Uh, um, and there's uh, there was some other. Um, whilst I was on the 3D printer binge this mm. week, I was looking at some of the other 3D printer things that have happened in the last two years. Now, there's a lot of like excitement about 3D printers. These are uh, printers that can sort of um, use a, either a substrate or I uh, can use a sort of uh, mold of plastic and build it up. Uh, in a sort of CAD model, so computer-aided design model, mm -hmm. into a 3D shape. And wow. there's a lot of sort of applications for it. Uh, one, that, Another one that I saw this week was uh, quite interesting, was uh, a man who made a hand for his son who'd lost his hand. And uh, instead of costing like hundreds of dollars for a prosthetic hand, or yeah. thousands of dollars probably, uh, he made it for $10 out of, wow. out of plastic in a 3D printer. Luckily, the school had a 3D printer he could make it on. Wow. I think it's really cool. And, and just like, has it, was it from a 
What? Where did they get the model from? Where did they? Oh, online. You can get a free. There's a free model free that you just model. download and do and do it online. Oh, and then it's got a bunch of cables in it which you had to attach up to the wrist. And then when the wrist flexes in certain ways, it wow. allows the kid to um, flex the fingers. That's pretty cool. Contract the fingers, open and closed. Really cool. And I, I you know, I really very cool because um, as he gets older. Um, and his hands gets bit hands get bigger. Mm. Instead of buying another thousand dollar, several thousand dollar hand or whatever, he can just print another one off for another ten bucks and uh, put a new bigger hand on. Well done, three D printers. Isn't that? Awesome? That's something that Plaster of Paris cannot do. No, would you be in? The, you couldn't go in the bath with it. Oh, can you go in the bath with that? You couldn't, could you? No, not with Plaster of Paris. Yeah. Um, um, I found the the equation. It's yeah. quite long. Mm. Um, but basically. It's the sodium bicarbonate, as we know, and the acetic acid, mm. which yields carbon dioxide plus water plus sodium ion plus acetate ion. So it's right. actually a two-stage reaction. Okay. So there you go. There you go. I won't read out the equation. That's not going to be helpful for anyone. Chemistry. Chemistry. Hashtag chemistry. Good job. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Good job, everyone. Um, what was the other... Uh, Vi- no, oh, you need something else on 3D printers? Yeah, there was a couple of other ones. This is all 3D printer week, because there was another one that came out. I don't mm-hmm. want to, if you if you want to talk about something else. Well, my offering so far has been not not useful. So you go. Oh, I don't know volcanoes. Is, yeah. Yeah. You've exposed my ignorance of chemistry. And and I've exposed my knowledge of plaster of Paris. Ah, yes, you have. Mm. Yeah, Ex- plaster of Paris expert. <laughs> um, there was uh, there was this week there was the hospital at Swansea, uh, a rebuilding. This is a little bit macabre, but they're rebuilding uh, a man's face. Because after a, a motorbike accident, mm-hmm. he got half of his face all messed up. Wow. Uh, and what they did was they took a CAT scan of the side of his face, which is fine, uh-huh. and then inverted all the parts yeah. and then printed them out. I think it was like a titanium print or a titanium uh, 3D print of it. And they're going to use them as implants to rebuild the other side of his face. Wow. Amazing. I mean, yeah, it's all it's all amazing. Um, and then the last bit I was looking at was the 3D printed meat that came out a, oh. couple, of month, we, a couple of months ago. That's right. I remember yeah, hearing about the first, it. Well, I mean, it's, it's been around for a little while, the idea, but I believe the first proper bit of cube of printed meat had been done yeah. a couple of months ago. So um, What I don't get is how they put all the bits in the, and it just prints them out. Like, obviously you need the right materials so that you can print it. Like, it's not like alchemy. <laughs> Or yeah, and I think like it's it? it's a little bit, <laughs> it's a little bit. Um, I, I kind of think it's a bit disingenuous to call them all three uh, D printers. Yeah, because they're using different uh, substrates. So they're using different materials. Exactly. So for the meat one, they're they're using proteins. Yeah. Uh, for the uh, titanium one, they're using metals. Yeah, it's um, not like they just magic meat out of thin air. No, and it's not like you can use. I've got this three D printer. Can I make three D meat? <laughs> Yeah. No, <laughs> you still well, need all the meat still need, ingredients. You need you need meaty things to put in the meat. Yeah, that's you know, right. It has to be meat. Yeah, it doesn't not like plastic. The fundamental laws of physics are still in action. Like yeah. you can't just create. But you know, but the fun- I think you know, you put in a ream of A4 paper, and out comes a steak on the other side. <laughs> that's pretty much how I imagine three D. Man, that work. would be fantastic. <laughs> I feel like a steak. Grab me the A4. Um, or I feel like a small little bit of meat. Give me an A five. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's. But you know what isn't uh, what you can't underestimate is the um, the law of hype and three D printers are just used for everything as a name now. So um, yeah. Science. Yeah. There you go. Well, next up we're going to talk about viruses on the International Space Station. Now this isn't actually 
like recent news, is it? But it's come come back into the news lately. No, so in 2008, uh, Russian cosmonauts mm. were found to have taken... Uh, <laughs> sounds like there was international space station detectives. They were found <laughs> to have taken USB sticks up there. Bah, no. bah, bah, bah. <laughs> Pyro in space. I don't know why it would have to be Pyro. Pyro but, um, it's probably Carmen Sandiego. I bet she'd be up there. Yeah. <laughs> Hunting the down with the... space crimes. Yeah. Maybe that's going to be my new job. Maybe writing about it or doing that space, space crimes yeah. yeah there's only like what eight people up there any time there's gonna be it's gonna be had to be quite a lot of Christine crime going Brooks, on. space detective I'm pretty sure I'll get funding <laughs> you can apply to NASA yeah I mean yeah. I'm, they're, in, they're investing more and more in, in science at the moment so I should be fine absolutely fine they'll probably give you like a badge with bum, like a NASA bum, symbol on bum. it which you can just show to people probably yeah. not allowed to take a gun up there though what's the, how do guns work in space how the guns would work? We could talk about that. Another. Well, the, the, the guns would work absolutely fine um, because they are um, chemical, chemically based. Oh, um, and, so, but you're not a chemical expert, as we've already revealed. Well, that's true. That's <laughs> very true. But as far as I understand, what, what little I know is... about a, uh, guns is you know you have a hammer which hits the bullet, hits mm. the gun, the gunpowder explodes in the uh, in the barrel, yeah, uh, and expands behind the bullets, which shoving the bullet out. Right. And so it's not really dependent on a, any gravity. As far as I know, it's not a gra- yeah. dependent on any, any gravity because the hammer, which you pull back to fire the gun, um, is 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 a uh, is mechanical. So right. I don't think there's any. I don't think uh, what I'm saying is it's not mechanically. It's not uh, dependent on the gravity. Okay, so uh, guns issue. would just work normally. Yeah, I believe so. And if you fired, but of course, if you fired, it wouldn't. Um, if you fired. Uh, away from the, the space station, so in the same direction as the orbit. Just like a warning shot. <laughs> a warning shot to other space stations. Uh, then you, the bullet would be having the same velocity as you fire when you fire it at the space station. So the bullet would continue in space. Like a little friend. Uh, yeah, like a little friend. Oh, it, a it little would also, reminder. It would also, for, for all the other space satellites out there, you watch out. Wow, all factors for Christine Brooks' space there you go. to take into account. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so where were we with that? Oh, Russian cosmonauts were... Ah, oh, so Russian cosmonauts. <laughs> um, they, took a, they took a USB up there, and before they switched over to Linux uh, yeah. from uh, Windows XP... Uh, they... We're still on Windows XP at work. That's, oh, that's, a, no. that's not relevant. We should continue. I think a lot of the world still is, isn't it? Yeah. Nobody... Yeah. yeah. And the... Um, the, the this USB come by. stick had some Windows viruses on it. Ah, oh. yeah. So, but I don't know why it came. So one of the reasons why it came out in this week, I think, was uh, Kapaski uh, of the company Kapaski Virus Software. Mm-hmm. Um, he was giving a presentation somewhere and he was talking about viruses and so ISS. Wider, wider. But it coverage. was interesting. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't know where it became confused with the Stuxnet thing because I read a whole bunch of stuff talking about how it was Stuxnet. Up on the ISS, which Stuxnet was the um, military US Israeli Israeli weapon, yeah, by software virus, right. which was uh, all aimed at stopping the Iran nuclear program. Um, and yes, it's very uh, contagious, but I don't think that there was any evidence that uh, Stuxnet had got to um, the ISS. Right. Okay. So, um, it's, but it's been yeah. And in the, in the previous news of there being viruses up in uh, the ISS, we knew in two thousand eight because NASA were always quite open about it. Actually, they were like, "Whoopsie." Apparently, at the time, a NASA spokesperson said, "It's not a, a, of viruses on the ISS. It's not a frequent occurrence, but this isn't the first time." 
da, 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 da. So maybe we don't know. Maybe this could... I think the conclusion we can draw is there is a definite need for Christine Brooks' space detective. Space there's so much nefarious activity going up there like growing things ants not for long <laughs> I don't think there's any ants in space I'm not, not sure maybe there are, I know I wasn't there one about how they build colonies and ant colonies in space or have I just got that from the Simpsons not for long no. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Ba, 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 ba. yeah so that's uh, viruses that's, in space alright viruses in space and uh, now we're going to talk about very large science as opposed to Quite big science. Super, super-sized science. Super-sized science. And this is all sort of... Super-science me. This all kind of came about because um, this week Nature have an article about the Large Hadron Collider mm-hmm. and the particle physicist who worked on that are now setting their sights... Now the, the Higgs boson has been discovered and, and, and validated. They're setting their sights on an even bigger particle collider. A um, very large particle collider? A very large Hadron Collider. Oh. Yeah. So, um, and they're going to call it that. Yeah. This goes. This goes on Europe's amazing history with naming things, uh, yes. such as the very large telescopes mm-hmm. in uh, Chile, which are eight uh, meters in diameter. There's four of them. Oh, I'd say they're just quite big. You think that's quite big? Yeah. I don't think very large. Well, they were very large at the time, I guess. It's all relevant. It's not really a helpful benchmark is but it? the problem is it's like those conversations you have with people where they try and outdo you and mm. then they oh I've got an even better story oh I, and there's oh that's not a good that you wait and, it's like the four Yorkshiremen on the, the Monty Python one have you no. seen that one no where he goes uh, oh I used to get up I used to get up and work for 25 hours a day every single day and then uh, John Cleese would say oh that's nothing you had it luxury <laughs> we used to get kept in a cave and we used to have to lick the motorways clean every morning. You know, one-upmanship. One-upmanship. Yeah. I don't know whether that's particularly relevant to this. No. But, you know, but where do you go from very large, right? So the very large telescope, what's the next generation going to be? Massive. That's a really good guess. Maybe that'll have to be the Huge. one afterwards. Extremely large. Ah. Can't you just keep using modifiers and modifiers? As soon as you get to the superlative, it's all over. It isn't it. And the, the, originally, the plan for the even bigger telescope than the BLT was going to the VLT, the being the very large telescope, was going to be the OLT. Uh, Do you know what that stands for? No. The overwhelmingly large You're telescope. You're lying. I me. am not lying. <laughs> not. I'm not lying. They, they were not going to be called. They were going to call it that. And <laughs> they, they were not going to call They were going to shorten it, it to OWL, I think. They were not going to call a telescope the overwhelmingly large telescope. Yep. But where do you... See, that's, that's got to be... I mean... Where do you go from that? I mean, it said so that that telescope, the overwhelmingly large telescope, was planned to be, uh, I think, a hundred meters in diameter. The mirror, like the segmented mirrors, so they, yeah. you can't make a mirror that big. So you segment right. them all up and make them, patch them together, and they kind of act like a bigger mirror. Right. Um, uh, but they decided, due to budget constraints, as you might imagine, a hundred meter diameter <laughs> telescope is quite expensive. They thought, you know what? That's a great vision, but let's just. Let's just bring it down a little bit. Just, ooh, let's just moderate expectations a bit. And so they said, okay, we'll do the extremely large telescope. Not the whelmingly large no. telescope. <laughs> and the, the, the extremely large telescope is going to be, uh, if I remember, 45 or 42.5 metres mm-hmm. in diameter, segmented again. Anyway, we can talk about, sorry, we're completely losing the track from the uh, Large Hadron Collider stuff. But, right. um, but I just think it's hilarious. 
So the uh, uh, the extremely large telescope, forty two meters wide, and that is actually going to be going ahead at some stage. Yeah. Wow. The Americans, the Americans are far more literal. Do you want to know what they called their? their yes, I do. Imagine what the. Can you guess what they called their thirty meter diameter telescope? Uh, Texas. <laughs> The 30-meter telescope. Oh, God, come on. Yeah. They're normally quite good with, like... Uh, super name. mega, huger, huger telescope. Yeah. Or at least name it after famous people. Big Mac telescope. <laughs> yeah, super-sized. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other um, big telescope that they put in recently was called um, the Large Binocular Telescope. So they do do a little bit of this large stuff. Mm, yeah. uh, the Large Binocular Telescope was uh, a telescope that's just seen what they call first light. Recently, so first light is when they start to see the uh, first photons coming through the telescope. Right. And um, this is a binocular telescope. So there's two telescopes mounted next to each other, mm-hmm. and they're on the same axis, and they both look in, look in the same direction. They're about 80 meters, uh, sorry, eight uh, meters in diameter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, but that's the naming conventions. Back to the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, and the Very Large Hadron Collider. Now to put this into perspective, the Very Large Hadron Collider. Mm-hmm. Uh, will be a hundred kilometers in circumference, or at least that's the aim. Eighty to a hundred kilometers in circumference. It's more than very large. Uh, do you, yeah, isn't it? I would so you say think it's over, would you, what would you say? Would you say it was overwhelmingly large? I would say that it's extremely large. Yeah. See, why don't they go for E L V H C? Well, because they needed to L- keep, they needed to keep someone in. <laughs> they need to keep some in reserve. They've got to keep superlatives in reserve for it. You can just add very to the front of anything, and it's bigger. Or mega. Mega. Very overwhelmingly, if that wasn't overwhelming enough, overwhelming is kind of an it's, absolute that's a term. Superlative. Yeah. yeah, or is it? I yeah. don't know. Um, anyway, so hundred hundred kilometers in circumference, so that's sixteen kilometers in diameter. Right. Uh, and not a hundred square kilometers. That is that is very that would be very overwhelming. Hundred square kilometers. Yeah, that's bigger, isn't it, than what you just said? Oh, would you hundred kilometers squared or hundred square kilometers? A hundred times a hundred kilometers, or a hundred kilometers squared. I mean, a hundred kilometers squared, but a hundred times a hundred. A hundred kilometers squared would be ten kilometers by ten kilometers. Oh. <laughs> we did, didn't want that. <laughs> um, and the other, the other, um, the other thing that the, the collide. So colliders always rate their ability to smash particles together um, by the the number of electron volts. They can supply to the particles. Right. So the electron volts is a sort of measure of how much energy they can put. Uh, they can put the particles under. Got it. Um, so in uh, the LHC at the moment, so the large hadron collider that we've got already can do seven tetra electron volts. That's ten to the s- ten to the twelve electron volts. I'd say that's the quite a lot hyd- uh, telescope. That's the quite a lot telescope, and the new one uh, is hoping to look at a hundred tera-electron volts. Oh, so the larger, more. the larger you make it, uh, the earlier back in time you can kind of look at what's happening. Because so as you can move back in time, energies go higher and higher up. So if you get closer and closer to the Big Bang, the energies are very very high because the pressures and the heats are just very high even if you go back right. to before there was actual atoms in the universe and every, everything was just made up of constituent particles wow so the higher energy that we can put uh, the particles under to, to collide them then the uh, we can simulate the higher energies at the start of the 
the, the Big Bang. They're basically just after the Big Bang or the start of the universe. Mm. So, yeah, no, it's important to make uh, the distinction. Sorry, I might have been a bit confused in the beginning to make the distinction that we're not looking back in time with it. What we're doing is we're recreating um, these be cold if it could back conditions. In time. Yeah, well, that's where the telescopes come in because the telescopes can look back in time. No, they can't. Yeah. How? Well, because it takes light so long to, to uh, reach us. What? So because... Oh, it depends how you define time. Uh, time zones. Different time zones. Not not really. <laughs> aren't, aren't we seeing... Oh, okay. What are you seeing then? What are you seeing? So as you, look for, as you look as you get a bigger and bigger telescope yeah. and collect more and more light, yeah. you, can, you can see further and further away. Yeah, yeah, I get Right, that. so the star, say Proxima Centauri, four light years away, Yeah, it takes four years for its light to get here. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at its light four years ago. Right. So we're not looking at it now, we're looking at what it was four years ago. Now if you look even further and further, that's our closest star, we can look much, much further out mm-hmm. uh, to other galaxies even. And that light is uh, hundreds, thousands, uh, tens of thousands light, of light years away. Yeah. Uh, millions of light years away so we can look further and further and further back in time so we are looking so if we looked at something that was like 10,000 light years away yeah and we see some light yeah. see a star yeah by now it could be yeah exploded it could be totally dead wow I didn't realize that we're looking at it as it was 10,000 years ago so we are looking through time I mean you could yeah you could look at it like that yeah I mean it's yeah, I mean, t- so I mean, it, it, it's it's just based on how fast information travels. Yeah, right. So the, you know, photons are the build, you know, the fastest blocks of information. Isn't that like saying though that if I was to look, I mean, the Earth is round. Yeah. Allegedly, but if I was to look or talk to somebody in, I don't know, England, and they're like twelve hours behind us, that I'm talking to them back in time isn't that the analogy no no because the because it's still we we put artificial time zones in to help us deal with day and night being mm. in different places around yeah, the planet okay but we're actually quite close to each other yeah. there is a delay we are, you could what you, what you could say mm. is you're looking back but an amount of the delay yeah of the signal is it analogous so, um sort of so if you if I talk to you on Skype and you're in the UK, yes, and it takes the light a certain amount to reach me, yes, then obviously there's going to be delay on the signal. Like we're talking like a few milliseconds. Yeah, and so I'm listening to you uh, 200 milliseconds later, okay. but your, it's your voice from 200 milliseconds earlier. Right. I mean, it is analogous. So that's the analogy, not yeah. 12 hours. But yeah, yeah, not 12 hours. No, but there's the delay in the signal. But okay. th- those uh, twelve-hour things, and you, that's just an artificial thing we've yeah. set up to deal with the difference. True. Yeah. So, um, so that's coming back into the telescopes. The telescopes, hopefully, some of these larger telescopes will start to see some of the first stars that were ever born in the universe. Wouldn't it be scary? Hmm. Oh no. I was going to say, what if we looked through time and saw like aliens on their way? Oh, um, but that'd already be here. What if we looked through time <laughs> and saw ourselves on the way to the universe <gasps> to Earth? that idea for a sci-fi movie. Do it. Wasn't that? Isn't that kind of somewhat Battlestar Galactica? Spoilers. Is it? Yeah. No. Good. Does don't they? Oh yeah. Well, we're spoilers. Spoiled. Don't we spoil it? I think season three they return to the spot. Spoilers. Anyway. I didn't know that. I well, this is the idea of panspermia, isn't it? The, the idea that uh, so someone's already come life up with can 
can s sort of uh, life can uh, be transmitted and then can start life somewhere else on another planet so we can all life is sort of you know the idea that maybe may, may, maybe <coughs> excuse me maybe and um, the first proteins that then became dna right and then uh, a more complex but life what yeah. if hypothetically we looked through time with one of our fancy telescopes mm. and we could see some sort of aliens and we realized that they'd actually been here for four light years or whatever say on our what's it called proxima centauri proxima centauri so one of the reasons one of the issues with this sort of stuff so proxima centauri is a little bit close that you know that could possibly happen in 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 sort of non relativistic speeds right. um which basically means uh relativistic speeds are speeds that approach the speed of light okay uh, or, you know, in, in a staple of sci-fi, uh, you've got faster than light travel, which allows you to go cover the really huge, vast distances of space really quickly. Yeah. Um, but relativistic travel is even up to the sort of close to the speed of light. So even if you travel like close to the speed of light, it's still going to take you more than four years to get Oh, uh, yeah, true. But um, no, but these are aliens and they've got that technology. Yeah. Um, so, but you're not looking... No, no, yeah. listen to my story idea. Okay. Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> There's, this, there's an alien and we see it with our telescope mm. and we suddenly realise oh I've got a good idea what about what about we use our telescope and we see an alien in a spaceship travelling towards us and then we see its face and its face is a world leader and then we realise instantly it's Richard Nixon it's Richard Nixon and he was actually an alien sent mm. from another planet mm. or more no it'd be more scary if it was a current one and, and, and then we realise that that an alien that has been sent here so the closer it got, so if it was travelling lower than the speed of light and we could presumably yeah. see it, which it, we may not be able to see it at all. Okay, but we can. But even if, but okay, but if we can, the closer it gets, the less of the delay there is. Yeah, but we see it way back in time. We haven't, we're not seeing it travelling the whole time, we just see a glimpse of it. But how would we, how could they... Go through a beam. If they were travelling, if they were travelling... <laughs> yes. If they were travelling uh, lower than the speed of light... Yeah. If they're four four light years away, say they were at that point in time, point. then they sped up. But if they took, they oh, walked. Okay, they walked, they walked towards okay. us. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. They're, they're all aliens. Right. They've got all this technology that we don't know about. Yeah. Okay. So they've walked. So that we saw them at a moment where they'd slowed down. Maybe they're just docking and yeah. having a breather. Having a Kit Kat. Maybe they'll get. Maybe they were refueling on a planet that yeah. had lots of whatever fuel they use mm -hmm. in this alien world, and we pause and we see them and we see the face of one of them. Yeah, and it's Richard Nixon. And it's Richard Nixon or any kind of world leader. And yeah. we, and then they keep on going and then they warp speed. And then we realise that they've been embedded on our planet for all this time and they've risen to dominance. Yeah. And they're embedded within us. They're like a parasite. Could that happen from physics? <laughs> if fast and light travel was possible. Yeah, which it is because they're aliens. Okay, if it was possible and they did that and it was, uh, if we worked it out, I'm sure we could make come to some sort of agreement. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I've based this idea. It is, it is, it is possible. Good. Yeah. Sci-fi. Yeah. So if we, if we saw them at non-relativistic speeds yeah. and we saw their face, I'm not sure how we would do that with a telescope. That's it's probably really, not the problem. It's an extremely that's, very large hadron. I think that's the least of our problems, but say we could... <laughs> <laughs> uh, then uh, and then they went to uh, faster than the light travel warp speed warp yeah. speed that's what we call it they then, have a different name for it because they're yeah. different then aliens. they could get here uh, as we are seeing 
yeah, before we see the light that's wow. coming from their non-relativistic speed. That's scary. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to sleep badly tonight? I am. Yeah. Hey, guess what? What if it's me? <gasps> then da, I'll sleep badly. Da, da, da. Yeah, I'm the one going to be sleeping badly tonight. Oh, oh good. All yeah. right. Wow, I think we've covered that. I think we nailed that. Um, and on to... Oh, I had a really good segue for this before, but it's kind of passed. Oh. It's when we were talking about the relative, the naming conventions and the relative sizes. And I was okay. going to say, one man's very large is another one's enormous. Which brings us to our next <laughs> topic, which is sexercise. And I'm, I've done the research smooth. for this one. That was smooth. <laughs> that was good, eh? Yeah. Okay, so... I'm going to talk about this one. So this is this is from a, a journal article, a research article that was released um, a week or two ago, called "Energy Expenditure During Sexual Activity in Young Healthy Couples," um, and it's by a bunch of uh, scientists in uh, Montreal, I think, um, and they have written an article about uh, whether or not sex is burns more calories than um, treadmill, like treadmill session. Um, and well, th- that was one of the elements of the study, but basically, this, just to give you a little flavor of, of the science at play here, they, they open with this statement. Um, Health professionals are starting to recognize that sexual activity in humans could be an important aspect of their overall health and quality of life, since this activity is practiced regularly by most individuals throughout their lifetime. No way. What an astounding finding. <laughs> what a finding. That's <laughs> the anyway, Pope is Catholic. I know, exactly. So anyway, with this this um, insight at the start, they I'll tell you the, the process that they used um, to, uh, to the methodology they used for the experiment. So in order to be included in the study, participants had to meet the following criteria. Number one, they had to be aged between 18 and 35 years. They had to, number two, they had to be born in the province of Quebec and francophone, classic Quebecois. They're always just wanting, they don't want any English speakers. Number three. Was it because they had need to have some sort of French lovemaking <laughs> abilities? I'd say that's probably why. I mean, I'm presuming it's the usual kind of methodology where they try to remove all other factors, but I just think this one, I don't, is it really important that they were born in the province of Quebec and were francophone? <laughs> probably in that they could get to the research institution. The Mon- Montreal, was it University of Montreal? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, the thing I'll is, they, you know, the, the, those are the reasons why. And I, but, I mean, studies always suffer a little bit from the sampling method. I mean, because yeah. you've, you've got this group of people. I mean, there was a famous paper that came out. I'll be really quick so we can get back onto the um, sex exercise. But there was a famous <laughs> paper that came out that basically said, you know, the world is not wasps. Yeah, right. You know, the world is not white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And the majority of research studies are done on them, are done on them. and yeah. that, you know because the they're world, near the universities well yeah because they're near the universities they're the students yeah. so they're always looking at people with a very narrow, narrow profile, profile. Well, I mean even in this study yeah. the average age was uh, 22 plus or minus uh, what was it plus or minus yeah. 20, uh, 2.6 or something I don't know it's quite narrow yeah yeah I mean yeah anyway um, so. but you yeah, know that's a good point and they, I mean they do specify it's about young young couples um, number three oh, they okay. had to be Caucasian yeah Number four, they had to be non-sedentary, so they had to do more than two hours a week of structured exercise. Number five, no sexual dysfunctions. Number six, they had to be sexually active, which means at least one sexual activity per week. Number seven, they had to be in a loving, monogamous, stable relationship with their partner for a duration between six and 24 months. 
Number eight, the use of oral contraception for women. That's quite a lot of criteria. I like that last one. It's like no babies on our watch. No, science will not generate babies. So, exactly. We do not want we do not want research paper babies, please. No, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So that's that's a lot of different um, a lot of criteria that one has to fulfil. But um. But I yeah okay maybe you don't think so. Well, I mean, if you're looking at the whole region, you've got sort of you know several million people. You've got uh, the demographics are quite. I mean. You know, they've only got 22... Is it 21 or 22 people in the study? Yeah, I guess so. So it's not like... Couples, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Well, that's not so startling then. Well, okay, well, I'll tell you then how they... What the methodology was. Okay, so yeah. first of all... Um, first of all, I think they did some kind of activity, which... Um, oh, I've lost the, the link here. Um, they, first of all, they did some activity. Um, basically, they made them go on a, a travelator. Not a travelator. <laughs> Was this the gladiators? <laughs> treadmill. The gladiators. <laughs> a travelator. A were they at the airport? They were not at the airport. It wasn't a travelator. It was a treadmill. Right. And um, so they had to do some uh, an endurance exercise session. So they um, a five minute warm up of walking, then thirty minutes of exercise on a treadmill, um, which represents moderate intensity, and then a five minute cool down. So that's apparently meant to be the idea of moderate exercise, which is the kind of standard idea of moderate exercise. Mm-hmm. And then the sex exercise began. So then they... Um, Sorry, was that the same? So they did that right after uh, the treadmill? No, that was a treadmill session that they used for a control, for the other half of the... Uh, yeah, they. it doesn't say here how, mu- how much of a gap there was between the two. If that's what you're asking. Okay. Yeah. I, d- I don't know how much time passed between the treadmill session and the sex session. Mm-hmm. But then that's what they did next. They basically... Um, so the sexual activity was defined as the onset of foreplay, intercourse, and at least one orgasm by either the man or the woman, and ended at the couple's discretion. Um, and so they were during a one-month period, couples were instructed to perform one sexual activity per week in their homes. <laughs> Thus, or else. <laughs> all couples had performed a total of four sexual activities. I don't know if they were not allowed to do any more than that. Oh, no. The couples were instructed to perform their usual sexual activities and not to use any drugs, alcohol, or medication for erectile dysfunction before the sexual activity, as well as not to perform any paraphilic sexual activities, which we now know... Thanks to your research, Paul, is... <laughs> is additional implements. Additional implements. No additional implements. Don't know how else to put that. Sex toys. Yeah. Um, well, then, okay, there's a better way to put it. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's the methodology. It's good that I'm going through this in detail, I think. Um, and then um, they had to answer a whole bunch of questions, like how would you compare your effort between sexual activity and that of the exercise performed on the treadmill... What was your perception of fatigue after sexual activity? What was your perception of energy expended after each sexual activity? What was your personal perception of pleasure after sexual activity? Blah, blah, blah. What was your partner's perception of pleasure after sexual activity? Um, and, and then how many calories did you think you burned? And then, um, and then they also actually measured that as well using some kind of device. The band. There was an arm band. An wasn't arm band, there. Yeah. some sensors on it, yeah. Anyway, so that'll happen. And... The um, excuse me. The finding was that energy expenditure during sexual activity appears to be approximately 
85 kilocalories and seems to be performed at a moderate intensity in healthy young men and women. So, and this is, <laughs> like, this is the summary of it. These results suggest that sexual activity may potentially be considered at times as a significant exercise. Well, there you go. There you go. So I, I, I've been reading, like, women's magazines for years. Yeah. Like, I used to buy Dolly magazine, which was aimed at teenage girls. And that all said, they all said in them that sex was, was they even told you how many calories it burned. So I don't think this is news, really. Dolly magazine's already done the research. So basically, you're uncutting, you're undercutting everything that you just said. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just saying Dolly magazine did it first. And that's where they, should, that's where they published the real research findings. That's right, and this yeah. Montreal outfit is just yeah, yeah, copied just, them. Yeah. So, you, so, you, so you, I, I don't. Let me get this straight. <laughs> you're uh, accusing Montreal University of fraud, scientific fraud. That's a strong term. against Dolly. <laughs> magazine is that right i am saying well you know this was that this, this was an open up this it is may a... potentially be considered at times as a significant component perhaps that dolly might have possibly got there first well i think you should you know um this was published in an open access journal so you can actually comment on it so you should probably comment on it and you know refer to uh, dolly at uh, volume two <laughs> Uh, page three. <laughs> they stopped making Dolly magazine, did you know? Well, I mean, they're merging it with Cleo. So, the, so it sounds like they're going to have to order it on an interlibrary loan because there's probably <laughs> not going to be any online <laughs> online research articles on it. But so it, it sounds like it's going to be quite hard to, for them to to nail that down. But um, that's an inappropriate way to talk about it. But um, yeah, so you'll have to. Um, and I, well, there's obviously a lot still to be covered in this, and I mean, yeah. I think they should find out what else Dolly's been looking into because it sounds like a lot of this. Research has already been done. News just in. <laughs> Justin Timberlake's a dish. Science. Hashtag science. But one of the things I was wondering about while yeah. I was reading this is, um, and this would apply both to the Montreal research and also the Dolly magazine research, oh. is the observer effect or the Hawthorne effect, which that idea where subjects improve or modify an aspect of their behaviour when it's been experimentally measured in response to the fact that they know that they're being studied and not actually in response to the experimental manipulation. I mean, if you knew that someone was monitoring your sex, don't you yeah. think that would be... Like, don't you think maybe you'd be like, oh, I'm going to do it differently? That's a, you know, that's a really, <laughs> that's a really, really good point, Christine. That, that, and that, that fundamentally comes to the central issue of doing a lot of these studies. Yeah. And with these guys, was there any control taken for people who weren't part of the... Uh, the, group. the thing is, how do you control for this? Yeah. You can't just go up to somebody and go, um, hey, do you mind wearing this armband <laughs> for a while and I'll come back and collect it in a few weeks. You do have sex once a week, don't you? That would <laughs> I mean, be you know, like, and unethical. It doesn't work. No, that's true. So it, it's, really, it's... it's really hard getting control yeah. for that. So you've got a whole bunch of criteria that these yeah. people had to meet. They know that they meet it. <laughs> then they know that they're set up comparing one thing to another. But it's almost like, it, well, in this case, it's it's a little bit tricky because it, it's a difference-in-difference difference test. Yeah. So they're going on the treadmill, and then they're also doing the, doing, doing the sex. Um, and doing so the sex? Doing the sex. <laughs> sort of like Borat. Um, and they're, um, but they're comparing one to the other rather, rather than nothing. That's right. Um, and so there is a little bit more, you know, that's a little bit more rigorous. But mm. the issue is that, you know, 
the other issue, the other issue I really had with the study is, <laughs> what it can be ended at their discretion. I know. So, so like, so you can do it a half an hour on the treadmill, and that that burns a certain amount, and then and then you can go and do four hours <laughs> in the sack, and somehow that's uh, that tells you something. I know. I just it doesn't like this study just doesn't, doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> so okay. And the other thing, though, that they found was... Okay, it's, you know what this is? This is, like, daily mail fodder. Like, <laughs> so, oh, I, feel bit, I feel mean. I, I was feel trying bad. to add something to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but... What I mean, it's, it's a perfectly well done... It's, it's a perfectly well done experiment for what they've done, and they've explained it well, and their conclusions are fine. And, the, you know, we were taking the mick out of that conclusions, but that's the kind of conclusion you get in science, because you can never be certain about anything... And there's, uh, they, uh, you know, you can never. <laughs> you know, someone that was a bit more certain about things. You can never be. You can never be certain about Dolly magazine uh, things when you've got when you've got assumptions that are involved. You know, you can't be absolutely certain. That's Dolly why we magazine have didn't need assumptions. Different. <laughs> that's why we have different. We have different thresholds for Science certainty. Science is a fraud. So LHC, so the Large Hadron Collider, when they found the uh, found the Higgs boson, yes. that ins- the uncertainty on that was very, very low. So we're very, very certain that we've got a Higgs boson. And the reason is is because they're instant, they're replicable experiments that we can repeat a whole bunch of times. In the oh. <laughs> you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> Christine is now rolling her eyes at my explanation. <laughs> I'll leave it there. Well, no, there's one other finding that I okay. wanted to share. Oh, it's a finding, is it? Oh. <laughs> well, I've built it up now, but yeah. um, it was no, it's more the way it was characterised. Basically, that um, so they mostly no, it's actually a point about that something that they didn't do. So it's not really a finding. It's kind of just another nail in the coffin. Okay. Of it, <laughs> but they um, they didn't correlate the calories burned with pleasure because they asked everyone to rate their own and how to, their how partners to go. Yeah. yeah nobody rated either of these as low they they you know enjoyed it enjoyed it um but what but a few people said that that it was less fun than a treadmill <laughs> <laughs> so some, the sex was less fun than a treadmill yeah so they didn't say it was low pleasure hey mate but look, they said it was less fun than a treadmill let's not drudge maybe some people really fancy treadmills wow maybe Okay, I guess that's not such a stunning finding after all. <laughs> it's pretty stunning. Do you know what the main conclusion is here? What's the main conclusion? I'm not allowed to do any of the science. That's <laughs> <laughs> the main conclusion. No, it's been fun. It's been fun. But not particularly... Uh, it's fairly... I mean, it's fair, and it's fairly elucidating. I mean, so the Hawthorne effect that you mentioned, you know, that's an important issue. I just found science. it on Wikipedia. Oh... <laughs> 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 uh, uh... I don't know if I'm helping. The no, course. that's cool. So the, 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 <laughs> the Hawthorne effect gets in the way a lot. That Hawthorne effect. That Hawthorne effect. I mean, because it's very difficult to control for some things. And, you know, this is a, a perennial issue. Yeah. Yeah, they're using a buzzword. A perennial issue in uh, education policy studies. because, Or even uh, any sort of social policy studies. Because yeah. it's very, very hard to control for that. Because uh, you basically, you, you, you go, you've got some awesome policy <laughs> rolling your eyes again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll stop. We'll leave it there. All right. Yeah. That was this week in science. Okay. Hope you enjoyed it. Science. Whisper. Science. Whisper. Science. Whisper. Science. Whisper. That wasn't all that was left over in science, <laughs> though, was it? I mean, that was kind of like a, a, like a real strange co- cross-section. <laughs> Are we still out. rolling? I'll cut that out. <laughs> no, no, no. It's all good. Science. Whisper. Science. Whisper. Science. Whisper. Science. Whisper. Science. <laughs> Whisper.